This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's 101 in the capital city. It's October, which means that it's Texas Wine Month, and we are here celebrating with the Texas Wine Journal. We have Daniel Collada, who's the uh, the head of the journal and organizer and mastermind. And uh, we've got Oscar Montes Iga, who works at the Red Room and, uh, and at Coleman Cellars. Uh, we have Jesse Brantley, who's with Republic, a, a major distributor in town. And Julia Dixon um, from the from uh, Clark's, uh, I'm sorry, not Clark's, Perla's, uh, who is going to be rep- representing the restaurant segment. So we've got an exciting room full of guests, and we're going to be talking about the native grape varieties of Texas and the southern part of the United States, which has a, a little bit of a different flavor profile from some of the other grapes that we see that are our European grape stock varietals. And so we're going to be talking about all of that. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. So uh, let's just go around the room and, and say hi. Daniel Collada with the Texas Wine Journal and Venovium Partners. Hey, thanks for being here, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent. And Oscar, for, um, you know, you're, you're going to bring a lot to this, working in wineries out in the Hill Country at Coleman Cellars and then also working uh, at the Red Room. So you come at this at a real interesting perspective. Thank you for being here. Glad to be back. Excellent. And Julia Dixon um, at, at, uh, at um, Perla's, such a wonderful spot in town. I got it right this time. <laughs> um, you've been on the show before. I love your descriptions. I love how you tie the, 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 the flavors of the wine in with food. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And Jesse Brantley, thank you. You have just recently uh, signed on with Republic, and uh, I think that you are just a busy gal right now, so thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Always happy to be a part of it. Excellent. Okay, so we're celebrating Texas Wine Month, and um, October is all of Texas Wine Month, and there's a bunch of cool events that are going on. Um, we have Texas Fine Wine at the uh, at the Wine and Food Foundation. There's a lot of different events uh, going on. If uh, if you go out to Wine Country, the Hill Country, um, we've got Julia is doing a a little um, tasting at. Uh, along with an art exhibit at um, Art for the People. So hopefully we'll kind of chat a little bit about that. That's really, really fun stuff. But um, I want to go around. We're going to be talking this hour about um, the the hybrid grape varieties of Texas. And if you don't know what that is, um, a hybrid grape variety is when a, um, a, a an American species or, a, or, or two different species of grapes actually mate via sexual reproduction and they create a whole different... Ooh, uh, scandalous. <laughs> and so, and, and right, and, and so we have our... The grape that we know uh, the most in the wine world is Vitis vinifera. And if that um, actually uh, cross pollinates with a an American grape variety such as Vitis... Um, uh, um, such Lim- as... <clears throat> 
Lambruska, Estiavalos. Estiavalos. Exactly. Yeah, great, great. Thanks for chiming in, guys. Um, And then we have a whole different variety, and oftentimes those varieties are a little bit different, you know, have different qualities. And uh, you want to say anything more about hybrids, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very common that we see not only hybrids, but more importantly, crossings in the market. I mean, probably the most famous crossing that ever existed was the Cabernet Sauvignon crossing with Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. So crossings are very common. It's where you get into these hybrids where you, as you mentioned, you take a two different species, cross them together, you get a third variety. Um, And what's interesting is typically that's done for a reason. And depending on where you are in the world, you're either doing that for um, a certain type of seasonal growth or you're crossing out uh, disease or whatever it may be. So it's interesting that uh, emerging regions that typically haven't been able to make Vitis vinifera in the past are now starting to be able to make wine because of these hybrid crossings. Right. So, so what was the original intention of, of these crossings with um, to, to create the grapes that we have and we're going to be discussing today? Blanc de Bois, Black Spanish, and Norton. Yeah. Anybody want to chime in? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know the original reason, but uh, I mean, I, I think that if you look at the Gulf states, particularly from Texas all the way down to Florida, uh, and particularly Florida, when we talk about Blanc de Bois, I mean, the reason that they needed a grape to make wine out of is because you can't, you physically can't grow Vitis vinifera. It's too humid. Uh, there's not enough uh, well-drained soils. Uh, and then particularly in the South where you don't have uh, a lot of the soils that Vitis vinifera can grow in, you have propensity for Pierce's disease and phylloxera and things like that. So you, you had to create a grape that allowed you to have an economy which happens to be a, a or has to be a hybrid. Right. So, th- so these grape varieties could uh, essentially exist. Uh, they were resistant to Pierce's disease. So that was the big one. That was kind of the answer I was looking for oh, okay. out there. <laughs> uh, Pierce's disease will just decimate a vineyard in the coastal areas, all in the southern part of the United States. And so, um, so, so we needed a vine that was resistant to Pierce's disease. Um, Cool. Well, let's, um, you know, I might, Oscar, can I start with you and talk about, um, you know, you're out in the hill country. We're going to first start talking about Blanc de Bois, right? Um, And uh, do you see folks who are visiting wineries out in the hill country kind of know of this grape and and, and kind of ask for it? Or do you think that it's still relatively unknown? I think it's a little of both. Uh, There's producers that have been making hybrid focused wines for a while, uh, pretty iconic producers like the Housers in Dry Cromile Creek in New Braunfels. You know, they focus on black Spanish from a pretty easygoing, light style, in a way, kind of like Beaujolais, that, you know, it's there for the season. And they also treat it more intensely uh, to make bigger wines. So they've been so, some of the champions, the flagships of those grapes. And I think people ha- that have visited those wineries recognize it and they are looking for more. Yeah. Um, there's also obviously uh, iconic producers for Blanc de Bois, like Hack in the uh, Santa Fe Galveston area. And he has many styles for his Blanc de Bois. So I think people that visit, um, have visited those wineries can start looking for, for those varieties right. in, in new tasting rooms. Um, but I think the exposure is getting there as we approach those grapes with uh, modern styles to understand the profile of that variety better. Yeah. And Julia, you know, this was, you, you confessed before that, that you had not tasted any Blanc de Bois before. And, and before the show out in the lobby of co-op uh, studios, um, we, we tasted, oh, I would say about uh, eight or nine Blanc de Bois. 
Um, so on, when you're working in the restaurant, is there any, any knowledge of these or is it, I mean, it's, it's, it's still very, very obscure on the, in the public in Austin, right? I think with market in Austin, people are more and more curious about what's going on around town and what's local. We get a lot of tourists that come to Austin. It's one of the destinations now that people visit from all over U.S. and outside of U.S. And they ask often, do you have any local wines? And if you do, why, how are they different from wines that are made in California or... Virginia. So you get that. So you get folks coming Absolutely. in and they say, hey, we, we want new flavors. We want local. Very cool. Yes. And yeah. a lot of them know Texas wine, but a lot of them are surprised that wine is even made in Texas. So right. that's always interesting to interact with people and let them know what's going on. Yeah. Can I get a preview? So, so what were your overall impressions of Blanc de Bois from the tasting? Overall, I was... Bro- broad brushstrokes. Yes. I was <laughs> pleased with, uh, first of all... The diversity of the style of this one particular grape, it can be made dry, lean, we've tasted a producer that makes it almost in muscadet style, a lot of least contact, dry, kind of green apple and lime, and then some producers are playing with Hungarian oak and it gives that different textural component, more of a vanilla round feel to the wine, opens up different possibilities in terms of food pairings and also in terms of what people like. Some... uh, Wines taste like Viognier, yeah. you know, the similar to people who may be into those uh, semi-aromatic wines. And um, some of them are really interesting. They can be even done in sweet style. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and Jesse, now, you, you know, you're working in the in the distribution segment of the industry. Um, do you see Blanc de Bois carried by major distributors? And, and, and what has been your kind of, has it been a love relationship, a hate relationship? How does it figure into what you know? So currently I'm not working a lot um, distributing Texas wines, but I can speak of my previous experience where I did work in a restaurant just on the verge of the hill country where we did have um, a Blanc de Bois blend and a sparkling on different points um, in the menu. And I would say it is a very more producer-driven relationship. Um, The consumers are comfortable with the producers in the area, so they're coming to gain that familiarity with the variety, and they do like it. They're excited about it. It's refreshing, and as Julia spoke to the the variation of styles, there's really a a style of Blanc de Bois for everyone out there in Texas, so it's got a lot of versatility. Yeah, great. Well, well, before we start getting into kind of the the particulars of the wines that we tasted out in the lobby, um, you know, I guess we want to mention a little bit of the the history of Blanc de Bois. So it was actually um, crossed and created in 1968. So uh, a relatively extremely young variety in the context of things. Um, the the uh, black Spanish, which we'll, taste, uh, we'll talk about a little bit later in the segment, uh, was a, a few hundred years earlier in the early 1800s, maybe even before then, and it's not really known. But Blanc de Bois, 1968, and it was crossed by a botanist, uh, John Mortensen, who uh, was in Leesburg, Florida. And, uh, and this was indeed a cross between uh, Vitis vinifera and then native Florida Floridian varieties Pierce's disease resistant, and it was in honor of Emile Dubois. Uh, but in fact, I think it's a really nice name because Blanc Dubois means white of the forest. So it, it kind of has this nice, uh, nice character. Yeah. So we, so we have a white of the forest and a black Spanish. So <laughs> this, it just, it's the it's, yin yang. It's the yin and the yang of the. Of yeah, the yeah. I, I, to make a comment about the the Perlas and and Jesse's prior experience in restaurants, I always find it personally very interesting. Where Texas is in, in terms of having a light-bodied, high-acid white, um, you know, now that we have 
Peakpool Blancs and Vermitinos and Trebianos being produced. Yeah. You know, it really Blanc de Bois is really that other white varietal that gives us that capability. And, and so when we talk about light-bodied, high-acid whites in warm climates, you're really somewhat limited. But in reality, if you look around the world, there's quite a bit, a few of them. Even you can add Chenin to that to that mix when you talk about South African whites. Right. Um, but Blanc de Bois is very exciting from what you talked about, Julia, the diversity, the, the varying styles that you can produce all the way from light-bodied, high-acid whites to still, to fortified, to sweet, to almost even late harvest if you had the odd opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an exciting category of wine that for me i put in the context of chenin blanc chenin blanc just because of the diversity yeah interesting interesting well um you know oscar how would you kind of if 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 somebody out there is listening and has has never tasted a blanc de bois what's kind of the first thing that that they need to know is it that diversity or can we can we uh, have some generalizations and some characteristics that you almost know what to expect from from what's in the bottle I think generally we can expect a fair amount of acidity, which makes it great for Texas cuisine yeah, and weather yeah, in general. Yeah. Um, so acidity is always there. Um, generally, it does show a pretty floral, perfumey, aromatic profile as well. Okay. Um, some of these examples today, and in general also, just kind of remind you, like Daniel was saying, of uh, wines from the Loire Valley driven by Chenin Blanc, whether that is a sparkling vouvray or a still vouvray, um, either dry or off-dry, um, but it also has, for me, shown characters of um, Torontes from Argentina, for example, or uh, Mosco Filero or Ajorgitico, um, Acertico from, from Greece. Um, so it is very versatile, even Semillon or, mm-hmm. or something a little bit more briny and um, waxy. Right. So it has its many faces, but it always kind of shows you a pretty floral aromatic and... Um, and the, the citrus notes with a little bit of pine show as well. Yeah, yeah. Would you both agree with that? Kind of after the the bra, the, the 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 lesson to the the fo- the, per- the person who's never had blanc de bois before is that is that kind of like that that what you expect high screaming acidity and floral and and, and aromatic components. Even better, you can ask, you never had it before, what wines do you like? Right. What style do you like? And based on that, you can suggest a certain style of uh, blanc de bois to yeah. a person. Cool. I also found a pretty strong mineral backbone throughout okay. these wines that offer a nice component that you don't always necessarily expect from Texas wines that sometimes can be fruit-driven, but it's it provides a nice counterbalance to the aromatics to have that mineral backbone as well. Yeah, and so so when you say you don't almost normally expect that from Texas wine, is that because of maybe the, the, the real ripe character? Absolutely, or? just the warmth of the climate. Um, uh-huh. I think the acidity and the mineral-driven qualities of the wine are a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, got, I'm, I totally am with you on that, that you can, a lot of these wines that we were tasting was between 11 and 12% alcohol, uh, and, and you get, you know, this light, crisp, and perfect to just, you know, be on the patio style. Um, and, and I I love that that saline quality. I think Julia, you were you were talking about that almost muscadet quality that um, that that we get that uh, that is really refreshing, and I love it. Uh, let's talk about the first wine because it, it, it is a little bit different. Uh, William Chris is doing an actual full traditional method sparkling wine, and I find this really interesting because um, because a lot of neutral grapes are being explored for sparkling wine the, these days. Um, one that, that that people don't really know about that that is really exploding is I. 
Baden, which is a really neutral grape in Spain. They're doing sparkling wines with that. Um, and so it's really cool to me that they're, that they're doing sparkling wine. Um, what were your impressions, guys? I mean, um, you know, it's looking like a champagne in the glass, right? Yeah, for me, um, and kind of going back to things that stick out or, or are noticeable when you produce a particular style of Blanc de Bois is, is Lee's aging, uh, yeah. kind of a Sir Lee treatment. So that, that really nice brioche toasted baguette quality. Uh, I, I could pull out that pretty distinctly in a couple of the wines that were Sir Lee aged, which I, I find quite enjoyable. I think it, it balances out some of that, the pine qualities, that greener qualities that you get on the nose. Uh, but with the sparkling wine, Lee's for number one. I mean, that for me was screaming in the glass. Yeah. And then the other thing that really stood out is not so much the fruit, it was more of the texture. And I think the texture of that wine with the aromatics of that wine kind of created its own unique style. The fruit for me took a back seat. The high acid, the texture, the Lee's-y treatment were, were really my my kind of... Yeah, yeah. Finding characteristics of that. Now, one. when the, the grape is a little bit more on the neutral side, that leasiness, then that yeastiness can kind of come through a little bit more. Oscar, did you, your impressions on this on this sparkling wine from William Chris? I did enjoy it. And uh, besides the mouthfeel texture and the lease character, uh, I really enjoyed a guava profile that you, I guess, generally don't get a lot in sparkling wines. So that kind of bridge of starting to show a little bit of tropical fruit um, was enjoyable for me. Yeah, yeah. Julia? What, I have to agree. On a guava, I also got some papaya and roasted papaya, and aromatics were really highly elevated, which is nice, and it's asking for food. I think yeah. this wine is a great wine to pair with blue cheese and awesome. uh, roasted yeah. fig. Oh, right. It has really, really good um, acid as well. Yeah. On top of everything else, so the texture and structure was very was very balanced. Yeah, Do was, you, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting you mentioned blue cheese because for me, like some of the the, the aromas and the finish were a little bit of that kind of cavey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say moldy in a bad way, but it, it was like a cheese rind. Um, and, I and, wanted blue cheese for that. Yeah, kind early. of a great description. <laughs> uh, Daniel, how you know you, you you were putting the wines together? I mean, how how many producers in Texas do you think? are doing a sparkling style out of Blanc de Bois? Uh, I think I know now four between William Chris, Messina Hoff. I think Grape Creek is planning. Uh, I don't want to exclude anybody. I think even High Meadow Winery. Um, right. I, I know there's more coming because that's the style. That's really the one style of wine that's really lacking in Texas in terms of market share. Right. Uh, and it's a trend. So as sparkling wines increase in the market, you know, Texas has the ability to to kind of ride that wave of trending categories. Right. Although it's really difficult because sparkling wine production is extremely costly uh, for if, to, mechan- to mechanize it. Yeah. Um, are we, these guys disgorging by hand? Uh, I know that the William Chris is because, as I mentioned, they disgorge <laughs> for me to take the bottles here. Um, but th- also you see the, the Petiant Natural style, so yeah. the slightly cloudy, fresh sparkling wines, if you were. Um, I think that's, a, that's becoming a... a category that's appealed to professionals right. just because we like some of the esoteric styles of sparkling wines yeah uh, and you can produce it pretty effectively you know without cool. having to, to do the you know the 15 months and hand hand riddling and all that right. jazz jesse what do you think after tasting this wine is sparkling blanc de bois uh, a thing that you're going to be looking for 
Absolutely. I was struck by the vibrancy of this wine, um, along yeah. with this sort of almost chalky texture. So every time I took a sip, there was just a new surprise in the glass. Um, and those, those underripe tropical notes were quite interesting, paired with all of that minerality and just the brightness of it. So, yeah. And the versatility. You could eat this with even something sweet. You could have it throughout the meal. And it has so many places where it would fit nicely. Right. With, with cured meats, I think, uh, could go really well. Yeah, particularly that, that Hungarian oak age from Flat Creek that, that had well, really long surly treatment with cured meat. Yeah, great. you know what I want to do is I want to take a look at just, you know, for, we, 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 for time constraints, uh, and we tasted... Um, uh, I'm looking at here eight Blanc de Bois. Um, I want to take the next four together, uh, and I will post on the co-op blog if you want to follow along a list of all of the wines and, and a picture too. Uh, but we have Saddlehorn Blanc de Bois. We have Lost Oak 2014 Blanc de Bois. We have Flat Creek 2014 Blanc de Bois. And then we have the William Chris uh, 2014 um, so let's just take a look at those four because I think that they fit into that same category of dry, you know, we're mentioning that Blanc de Bois is so diverse, diver, uh, diverse in the styles that it can have, but, um, those four there were kind of that typical dry white wine style, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so what, what kind of stood out? Now we had Saddlehorn was, was actually a non-vintage. So, uh, maybe a blend of the past couple of vintages. Um, anything that stood out to you about those wines, Daniel? <laughs> Across the board, they all, for me, and I, and I, I guess my question to a producer, once we have that opportunity to talk to, uh, the, the producer that calls in or we could dial him is, is, is if this kind of very tropical fruit tone is that a yeast thing or is that a varietal thing all right um well we've got we're gonna have chris brundrett on the phone from william chris uh to answer a few questions at the half hour mark so um so we'll ask him and and did they all show that consistency of that like screaming acidity bright citrus um had had some uh, oak treatment on it so hungarian oak we're thinking so it gave different uh, dimension to the wine more of a vanilla Apricot peach. So what that did is so so brought the citrus into a more tropical fruit, stone and fruit, stone fruit, and it and it fleshed it out. Do you think on the mouth? Yeah, give yeah. it some roundness, some richness. Yeah, yeah. So that was different. It stood out. So I think that can go with, you know, apart from seafood, it can go with like wild uh, game. Yeah, like a quail. Awesome. So that'd be uh, really nice. Excellent, Oscar. Any impressions of those four dry uh, whites? Um, I would say it, the fun of for me this exercise was comparing it to something that other people that haven't tried Blanc du Bois couldn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for me, for example, Saddlehorn reminded me of a funky Sauvignon without re- really rich minerality, mm. but it was just kind of woolly or foxy and kind of mm. funky with nice fruit. Um, the Lost, Draw, uh, Lost Oak uh, wineries. Um, reminded me more of a more neutral citrus, citrus-driven Italian Pinot Grigio, for example. Uh, the Flat Creek, for me, reminded me more on the Bordeaux style, a white Bordeaux that has a little bit more tropical notes and mouthfeel roundness. Yeah. And the William I'm going to second that because it, it you really... You made the Simeon. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it, it screamed out to me like it was, you know, white Bordeaux that had a more a higher percentage of Simeon because it had that richness, that fleshiness. I love it. And the, the nice fruit, yeah. And the uh, William Crease to me, reminded me more because of the f- both fruits, minerality and, and floral um, of a Moscow Filero from Greece. So a little bit all, all over the, wor- the world uh, as far as 
the window of opportunities of sharing these wines with people that are not familiar with them. Right, right, right. Yeah, I got, um, I, I love the the seven-year uh, comment that you made. That's Chenin Blanc from, from the Loire Valley as we were kind of making the Chenin Blanc correlation. Um, yeah, do, do, what, what did you all think? Um, Jesse or Julia? Yeah, and on the saddle horn, I wanted to make more of a Viognier analogy because it's, to me, it built more cleaner, kind of like Sprite, lemon, lime, and apricot uh, profile, and white flowers. So I think for white Viognier drinker, that would be something, non-conjure Viognier, yeah, yeah. I must say. Something that doesn't see oak. And then I would agree on Shannon Cole for the William Creek um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, what do you think? I quite enjoyed the William Chris, that the Enoch Stomp vineyard. It seemed to have the most complexity. I quite enjoyed the texture, and it had strong salinity. And to me, it reminded me somewhat of a Tuscan Bermentino with all of that salinity and minerality. And yeah. the I found the aromatics on this one to be a little more subdued, but far more interesting on the palate and the finish and texturally. Yeah. So I yeah. really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I love that one as well. And that, that um, you know, just that, that salinity, I think that, you know, and you mention in Tuscany, these, these vineyards that are planted on the water, um, you know, and it's not necessarily that the salt is getting on the grape and that is going into the wine. There's something else going on, Absolutely. but uh, it, it definitely shows that. Um, I love that wine as well. So that was William Chris. That was the 2015 and it was just released, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Well, uh, in, in, the, in the last few minutes before we take a break, I, I want to um, talk about the wine that was blended with some other grapes, right? In, unless anybody has, do you want to say anything else about the last four? Let's move on to the blend because okay. I think that uh, Blanc de Bois really blends incredibly well. You're on number seven, right? We're, we're on number seven, which is going to be, uh, yeah, this, this is the, um, the Mary Ruth Malvasia. Muscat and Blanc de Bois blend right. from William Chris. Okay. That was William Chris as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about that? Because we're talking about Blanc de Bois having this backbone of salinity, minerality, nice acidity. How does that complement other grape varieties? Yeah. Well, I've, obviously the Blanc de Bois varietal gives gives a lot to your aromatics and to your acid backbone. Um, and then therefore you have the opportunity to add grapes that may not necessarily have that. Um, in terms of really the structure, the acid. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I like the Mary Ruth. I've, I've tasted this wine now over several years and several different iterations of the blend. I, I like it a little bit more without the three varietals, more of the Muscat and the Blanc de Bois. I think that there's a lot of aromatics given in the glass, and then it kind of becomes a little bit more Muscat Malvasia driven on the palate, and I, I would like to retain a little bit more of that kind of greener, fresher Blanc de Bois acidity. But I but I do think that the blend shows promise and there's other producers producing Blanc de Bois blends and it's a matter of how do you take the gamey foxiness out of Blanc de Bois and combine it with fruit to make something that's not weird. Right, right. And, right, and, right. and I think that they did that here. I just wish there was a little bit more natural acidity on the palate. That is, that is it's such a, a thing that when you're dealing with these native uh, and, and these hybrid grape varieties, it's like, you know, how to not make the flavors too weird. <laughs> Because sometimes they get, and we tasted a wine uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit that that was, it was just so weird. And we were all divided because some people liked the weirdness and some people just were really turned <laughs> off. You know? So how do we mitigate the weird in wine? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what do what, 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 what you think, Oscar, of the blend? 
uh, fun wine. To me, that's one example I compared to Torontes from South America. Yeah. Uh, just because it does have a nice acidity, uh, light body, which makes it refreshing and easy to drink. But uh, just that floral kind of soapy ca- character that uh, Torontes can be shown or uh, known for. And yeah. that's what it reminded me of. So you think I you think, get that from Muscat or yes. from a Malvasia? Uh, uh, I think both Muscat and and the Blanc du Bois having parentage with the Muscat itself. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it shows that. Yeah that very blossom driven nose yeah it's kind of hard to know which components are coming from which parts of the blend right but um but yeah i think that that the muscat really screams out and just like with uh doug lewis's uh he has his um swim spot from lewis sellers that ha- it's mostly blanc de bois but with a little bit of muscat i think that that really jumps out in making more of the clove and 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 really really spicy aromatics julia what did you think of this blend I liked it. It was very different. Muscat dominates the aromatics yeah. for me. I got a lot of nutmeg and um, also this green grape quality with lime. So it had some freshness to it. It's like a blend between Alsatian, dry Muscat and Tarantes, you know, ter- <laughs> if you had to yeah, describe it right. to one, I think, because it definitely has this new world fruit pronounced, uh, but also good acid. So I thought it was overall a very interesting blend. Yeah, very interesting wine. Yeah, Jesse, what'd you think? I quite enjoyed it. Um, just the heightened aromatics on the nose, the Mescat Blanc addition to the Blanc Tribal really teases out all of those orange blossom aromas. Um, and on the palate, I did, um, as Julie did, find some sort of greener notes, like a watermelon rind almost. So there were some prizes on the palate yeah, you almost think like it's going to be this, 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 this kind of a lot of aromatic wines fall a little bit fat on the palate. And so right. this, this kind of confused you because you're like, whoa, I've got these crazy aromatics, but then it's still this bright freshness on the palate. I love that call. Yeah, absolutely. I found it to be very interesting because absolutely when you first smell it, you almost expect it to be a Moscato di Asti. And that's just such a nice counterpoint on the palate to have all that green. Yeah, wonderful. So uh, we, we, uh, we're having a wonderful time here celebrating uh, Texas Wine Month, which is October. If you're just tuning in, my name is Mark Rayshap, and this is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, and this is the show we talk about wine for an hour every week. We get to taste delicious wines out in the lobby, and, um, and we're here with panelists from the Texas Wine Journal. So Daniel Collada from the Texas Wine Journal, Oscar Montes Iga, Julia Dixon, and Jesse Brantley, and they're all wine professionals, notable wine professionals in the Austin community. So we're going to take a short break. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back uh, after we hear from some of our underwriters. All right, thank you so much for, uh, for, for tuning in. We've we had a, a wild time here in the studio. We are, um, we're here with the Texas Wine Journal. We're talking about wine. We're talking about the native hybrid grape varieties. And, uh, and we're here with Daniel Collado. We're trying to get our headphones hooked up because we have Chris Brundrett from William Chris here on the line. And, uh, and, and I love this episode because we talk about Blanc de Bois. We're going to get a little bit into another uh, hybrid grape called Black Spanish. Um, Chris, hey, are you there, man? Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, so we're here. We, we've, along with Daniel Collada and folks from the from the from the Texas Wine Journal, we tasted oh about eight Blanc de Bois, and we were hoping that you could weigh in just with the um, the perspective of what it's like to 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 be a producer and to work with the grape in the vineyard. What what are the notable characteristics uh, that you see kind of in the vineyard? And 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 I guess let's start off is are almost all of the Blanc de Bois 
plan things uh, kind of more coastal? Um, yes, well, you could say coastal. We, uh, I've actually looked in Blanquebois Vineyards from uh, literally the other side of the wall in Brownsville, Texas, all the way up to uh, Longview, um, which is almost in Arkansas. Um, oh, wow. And uh, we, we currently buy grapes uh, and work with vineyards in, in Brenham, Texas, and also uh, also Longview, Texas, Enoch Stomp um, Vineyards and, and uh, John Dale Vineyards in Brenham, Texas. And those those are really uh, some of my favorite spots for Blanc de Bois. Uh, a lot of, because of the terroir and a lot of because of uh, uh, the, the vineyard managers are, are really exceptional. Yeah, can you talk uh, about the, uh, the Enoch Stomp? Because that was one of the wines we tasted 2015, and it was, I think that the whole panel thought it was delicious. You know, nice salinity, nice bright acidity, just perfect for what, what we're doing here in Texas, right? Sure, sure. So I was, I was asked to speak at the Blanc de Bois conference about four or five years ago, and we had, were having a rough vintage uh, with a lot of freeze and hailstorms. And I had uh, kind of foolishly mentioned that, hey, if you have any Blanc de Bois for sale, I'd uh, be happy to come look at your vineyard. And like 10 minutes later, there was 80 people in a line off the stage. And uh, that's what got, put me 20,000 miles on my pickup and, and uh, went up and down Texas and looked looked at all this different Blanc de Bois. Um, and I ended up finding Altus. Uh, him and his uh, business partner, John, owned and operate uh, uh, Enoch Stomp. And yeah, in the middle of nowhere in Longview, Texas, and you come over this ridge down this dirt road, and you think you're in Napa, and, and this guy is a, is a rock star. Altus has uh, been, he grew grapes in South Africa. Uh, he's a first-generation South African, uh, or uh, uh, Africans, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he, he immigrated over here with his wife, and um, just a, a rocking guy. And if, if you've never been to Longview, it rains a ton, and you right. have to be very, very sharp as a vineyard manager. Uh, it's mostly in uh, kind of what we call black gumbo clay, um, and what I really love about Blanc de Bois is its versatility. Uh, right. you, you can pick it at 18 or 19 bricks and get this totally different wine, and then some years we can get it up to 22, 23 bricks and get it kind of uh, and less about the sugar, more about the, the color change, the, uh, the, the green to gold aspect. And if we can pull that together, the wines are really exceptional as well. And, and so at William Chris Vineyards, anyways, we, we really – accentuate those vintages so the 2015 we saw a lot of rain coming so we picked it a bit early i think about 19 or 20 bricks and um we let it age over lees uh and stirred it for about nine months eight months um so a very intense lees stirring program and it kind of reminds me of like a a muscadet if you will um really nice acidity um definitely a food-friendly wine um, when you get home from the coast after catching some redfish, you know exactly what wine you're going to have. Hey, well, we uh, had a few questions. Another a few questions, Daniel. What was what was your question for for Chris? Um, I think having to do with what what aromatics do you think? You know, is it the tropical aromatics that are coming from the yeast, or is that that really uh, coming from the grapes? Is that was that yeah. your question? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, um, we do use. There's a yeast called Alchemy Two, which I really really like. Um, there's my secret to all the winemakers out there. If you want to make wine like that, you have to find a great vineyard and a great vineyard manager, but that's the yeast we use. Um, but we, uh, we really, the, the, the aromatics come from the grapes. Um, you know, you, we're not really putting anything in there. Uh, you know, we're, we don't take green apples and put them in the wine or anything. <laughs> Those green apples are all from not only the terroir, but the, the degree of ripeness. So 
and I've never experienced a grape with more versatility right. um, that from from that color change, that green to gold. And it's not just uh, sugar amount, right? So in in vine- in, in the vineyard in, in at John Dale's in Brenham, the uh, the grapes turn from green to gold a little bit later, and mm. we'll get kind of quicker physiological ripeness and long view, even though the sugar won't be as high. We'll get uh, more of those pineapple flavors earlier. Um, and, and tropical flavors if we pick it if we pick it a little later but earlier um, in the season than, than we do at Brenham, if right. that makes sense. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, more as far as, you know, how versatile. I mean, there's so many grapes that have like this ideal point as to where, you know, you want to aim to harvest them. And there's so much more variability with Blanc de Bois, which, which probably is exciting and also daunting as far as, you know, from the winemaking standpoint. Well, it is, it is daunting, but then it's, it's so much fun. It keep, we get right. to keep guessing every year. I mean, obviously we made a uh, Method Champenois, that, that, that wine sat on terroir for almost two years. I think, did you guys have the sparkling? Yeah, we did with 2013 yeah. uh, Champagne Method, and uh, everybody really loved it here in the studio. Awesome. Well, that's a fun wine to make, and that was kind of a grab your boots and let's figure this one out, because obviously <laughs> I'm not a, I don't have decades of champagne making experience. Right, right, uh, right. But we, uh, we used a couple of different people to help out. Um, Tim McPherson uh, had made some, some really cool sparkling wine, and, and he was kind of my mentor on that one that Excellent. Josh and I went and kind of figured it all out, and, and it was a fun wine to make, but, you know, we kind of were up against the corner. We needed to har- uh, harvest those grapes a little bit underripe, and um, and so it ended up making some beautiful sparkling beautiful wine, sparkling. Which, yeah. in my opinion, is so much more fun than trying to make the same wine and push the wine in a certain direction every year. Blanc de Bois is one of those that you can kind of change it up every single year. Right. For example, the Enoch Stomp, uh, Fruit this year um, is you know we or the the, the Brenham fruit from uh, uh, from John Dale Vineyard is all barrel fermenting and neutral neutral white barrels right now, right. Um, and it's we're doing an extensive flea stirring program with that as well. Yeah, so kind of more more reminiscent of the Muscadet, uh, Surly type of thing going on. Um, well, well, great, uh, folks. Do you have any other questions for Chris? Um, I have a question. Yeah, Julia. Why Blanc de Noir? What? Um Blanc de, Bois. Ma- Blanc de Bois. What made you go with this particular grape variety? Like, how did he discover it, maybe? Yeah. How did you discover um, it? In 2007, it uh, was one of the, my first years making wine for money. And there was a vineyard in, uh, uh, it was in Brenham uh, as well. I think it's a Pal- Palacios vineyard. And um, there was not very many grapes available in Texas in 2007. And I didn't know anybody, and I was working for this little winery. And uh, so I just met this lady at a conference, and I said, hey, I'd love to buy some Blanc de Bois. And uh, that's how it started. And, and really, Blanc de, Bois, Blanc de Bois has got uh, – that, that's how I met my business partner, too. Uh, he did not like Blanc de Bois uh, at all. <laughs> and we had a mutual friend that um, thought I was, I was doing a good job with it in, uh, in 07, and uh, uh, it got some, some press and some praise, and – uh, I remember that my business partner tasted that wine, and he he came over to this restaurant that I was I was uh, eating at, and he's like, "Hey, I see that kid that's making that hot little blonde wine everybody's talking about." And uh, like, "Hey, man, yeah, you're Bill Blackman." And so Blanc de Bois has a, a lot more meaning for me personally, and and that's why we've kept on making it every year. And it generally doesn't freeze in the in East Texas, um, so it's a it's a grape that you can use every year yeah. uh, in your portfolio. 
Um, hey, um, but, I've got one last question for you. Thanks, Chris, sure. for, for being with here. But, but um, you know, do you see the public really embracing it as well, like in your tasting room and, and uh, as folks are going out and visiting Hill Country? Uh, what is the reception on the public side of things? I think it's an amazing uh, 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 reception. You know, if, if I go into a restaurant or somebody comes in to, to our place and we serve them Cabernet Sauvignon, which we make some great cab, uh, but it's not very much of our portfolio, you know, you're automatically getting compared to all these different regions of the world, and people already have preconceived um, preconceived notions of what the wine should taste like or what they think that it should taste like. And, you know, I just uh, got back from Chicago where we poured the 2015 Blanc de Bois um, for, for a number of different uh, sommeliers and, and uh, restaurateurs and, and, and our fans up there, and everybody's blown away, and they go, where can I get more Blanc de Bois? Tell me the story. You know, if, if I walked in there with Cab Sauv, um, you know, it, it, would, it would just be, you'd be up against everybody else. And I'm not saying it's easier to make Blanc de Bois or to make, you know, than to make Cabernet Sauvignon, but I feel like it's a great regional identity because Blanc de Bois is such a great part of our state. Um, and the public re- responds very, very well to it, uh, especially because it's a grape they've never heard of. Now, Black Spanish, I, I don't know if it's because it's got a, uh, a different name, and Blanc de Bois sounds French, and everybody loves <laughs> yeah. it. So I, think it I, mean, I think maybe that has something to do with it, but uh, um, Blanc de Bois, I found that people are so receptive to it. And, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't that many people making good Blanc de Bois, and now there's right. a lot more. Yeah. Um, if you ever tried Louis Wines, uh, uh, they have a, a great, uh, great Vino Verde-style wine. Uh, it's pretty cool Absolutely. Um, that they use Blanc de Bois, and there's so many other people. Our Mary Ruth has Blanc de Bois in it. Um, and that's, that wine served all over Texas and yeah. in our tasting room. Well, awesome. You gave us the perfect lead-in because we're going to be talking about Black Spanish just <laughs> after this. Uh, but we, we do have to take a short break. Uh, Chris Brundret, I wanted to thank you again for being on the show. Yep. Uh, keep Absolutely. up the good work. Happy Texas Wine Month of October. And we'll keep on yep. trying to get the word out about these cool things that are happening in Texas. Thanks, Chris. Hey. Take Thank care, you. Chris. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Okay. Well, we have to take a short break. Um, uh, this is another bottle down on Co-op Radio. That was Chris Brundret. Uh, cool things that are happening in Texas with Blanc de Bois. And after the break, we'll be back to talk about Black Spanish and maybe a few other funky things. So stay tuned. Okay, well, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, 91.7 FM and koop.org. Follow along on the Co-op blog, koop.org slash blog, and um, I'm going to post the wines that we tasted here with the Texas Wine Journal uh, live in the studio here celebrating Texas Wine Month. Daniel Collada, Oscar Montes Iga, Julia Dixon, and Jesse Brantley. Um, guys, we, we, we're, we're kind of blowing through our time here, um, but, but we have a few final notes talking about Blanc de Bois. We had, so we saw a sparkling version. We saw dry, high acidity. We saw uh, Blanc de Bois being aged in barrel uh, on the stir with Lee's stirring, um, all giving us different flavor profiles. Um, let's talk a little bit about the dessert style because we, we tasted a few of those with varying levels of sweetness from just a little bit of semi-sweet style to, uh, you know, uh, Madeira type styles. Dan- Daniel, what do you think? Uh, I guess on regards to the semi-sweet off-dry styles, 
it's probably my fault for not bringing their current release of these wines. For me, I, I had a hard time with off-dry styles. I didn't feel like there was enough freshness on the palate to not make the sugar so cloying. Um, but as you get onto the sweeter styles, like the White Port from Hack or even the Madeira from Hack Winery, uh, obviously those styles are unique all on their own. They have incredible character, depth of flavor, complexity, and a long evolution. Um, and, and really that's such a promising area, which, I mean, so many people have already had the Hack Madeira and know what that's all about in terms right. of the quality of that wine. Um, I mean, it's a great wine. I mean, yeah, and he's doing, and that. he and he is, you know, he's coastal, and so th- that's what he can grow, you know, in his area. And I think that he's um, Raymond has really kind of uh, identified this. Hey, I do want to really champion uh, these these Texas hybrid varieties. Um, Oscar, what do you think? Did the, did the did the Blanc de Bois work as a sweet style as well, or are you all dry all day? <laughs> no, I actually love it. It's been always one of my favorite just because overall the wine is indestructible. So you want to stockpile it for the zombie apocalypse, but it just tastes <laughs> great. Um, it's very rich. It's very complex. Uh, for me, for example, his Madeira showed a lot of candied walnut and toffee and dried apricot and fig. Uh, very, very exciting qualities to have in a wine of process. Um, so very enjoyable for me. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about the off dry? The hack off dry, or just the, or the others, the the, uh, the hack off dry too, and then there was a what was the other one? The hack lost um, oak, lost oak, blanc de bois, semi sweet. Oh yeah, the semi sweet for me it reminded me of a Vouvray without the minerality, but it had nice quince apricot flavors with citrus, um, a nice body. Uh, the hack sweet blanc de bois was for me somewhat balanced. Uh, again, if you mentioned the age, might have been uh, better on a recent vintage. Uh, but it had peach, nectar, and ginger, much more for me like a musket quality. Yeah. Um, and his port, the, the port for me showed a lot of very, very cool almond and orange skin, uh, almost like candied orange skin. Yeah, that almond was yeah. so cool. I, I love that that component. Almost like, almost fino sherry-ish, but, um, you know, yeah, very cool. Julia, what do you think? Um, just a few more minutes to talk about Blanc de Bois. White port was my favorite because it's so different and I can see it go with a lot of food, especially warm soups with a little spice to it. And it had good acid, so great balance overall. White ports are now coming into fashion. I feel like that's something that is ahead of, um, he's been ahead of its game, you know. Yeah, it's yeah great. ahead of the, the, the yeah. curve there. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Jesse, what do you think? I quite enjoyed the Hack Madeira, just the baked fruit qualities and the cinnamon spice and clove that really teased out of there. Um, the sweet styles were not my favorite, the others, but the florals did seem to be a little more subdued. But I think Daniel's right with a fresher vintage um, with a little more acidity. I think they could be quite nice. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for the comments there. Um, w- w- I want to move on to, because we did taste a handful of wines from Black Spanish. Um, I think that a lot of producers are in Chris Brundrett's uh, category where, they th- where they're like, okay, Blanc de Bois, there's a lot of excitement around it. Black Spanish, maybe, maybe not has a future. You know, people, and, and, and let's, you know, kind of really quick mention the history. First of all, the history is a little bit unknown. Um, it is a cross between Vitis Vinifera and Vitis Estivalis. 
Um, and it, it, it was basically brought to the island of Madeira in the early 18th century. Um, and then from the island of Madeira, it was, it was called Jacques, and then brought to uh, France, where it was called Lenoir. Uh, and in fact, T.V. Munson, who figured out the whole uh, graft on top of American root vine uh, conundrum to, to solve the phylloxera epidemic, he really uh, experimented with black Spanish um, during the, the uh, late 1800s. Um, so he was, to, he was from Texas. Too, he was from so Texas. Yeah. So that's a little, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he was, he was used to the, the uh, limestone soils that we have here and that, that they find in a lot of areas of France. Okay. Um, for somebody who has never had black Spanish, Jacques or Lenoir, they're all the same great. What, um, what do people need to know? Like, what are the, what are the take home points here? <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with winemaking as well. This yeah, particular right. wine we've tasted, the Satinhorn, was very different. It had a lot of breadth. Of, uh, so it was a lot of uh, aromas that not related to fruit. Yeah, so a lot of the barnyard, barnyard. or dirty leather, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, animal aromas. Yeah. Uh, so, but, and um, the acid was high, the tannins was high. So this wine is very, makes a big statement that it's there. It's hard to miss. It's hard to forget this wine, but I don't know if I want to go back to this wine. To drink it. Right. So you were, I think, in the camp of uh, it was a little bit off-putting. And I think that that's, that, for me, is the take-home with Black Spanish, that the acid is so high. So if you're used to drinking, you know, Cabernet, Merlot, uh, some of these grape varieties uh, that, that are world-renowned, it might be a bit jarring, right? Because you get ripeness, you get big flavors, but they're, they're just wild, uh, wild flavors. I mean, I guess that's, that's the, the way. Oh, and we should say it has a red flesh. So that's very different from other grape varieties where so you get a lot of color, you get a lot of intense flavors. And Oscar, you liked this, um, the, the really, really uh, funky uh, saddle horn uh, black Spanish, right? I was a big fan of the aromas based on the organic nature of leather and spice and mushroom floor. And yeah, so you barn. like that bread, bready uh, quality, the Brettanomyces. I yeah. did like that. Um, however, I did feel like on the palate, it seemed a little lighter. It, it didn't match the intensity of the flavors uh, or, or the aromas to the flavors. Right. So it's kind of like a kid, you, you know, you can love your kid, but when they're having a temper tantrum, uh, it's kind of... <laughs> like a natural temper. Cabernet Sauvignon from Loire. Yeah. Natural wines, you know, some of them have that really funky have, quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jesse, what do you think about the dry black Spanish? I mean, because you know, we were talking high acidity, just craziness, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would describe it as sort of bitter, brambly black fruit, just very rustic. It's yeah. definitely interesting. I think you could do some fun things with food with it. Um, it's not something I would want to sit and sip on its own, just due to that high tannic nature in conjunction with the acidity and sort of. Um, yeah lack of ripeness to fruit it can be a shock to the palate yeah. uh, but it is interesting i like the rustic notes to it and i i think that it could have its proper place okay yeah. i feel like one of the categories of wine that's i haven't seen in the market for black spanish is like uh like a, a recciotto style like an amarone where you take the grapes you dry them out you get more fruit concentration you reduce your overall acidity and if you ferment it dry you can produce a high alcohol wine but if you don't ferment it dry you get a really nice beautiful kind of dried fruit dessert wine and, and i feel like there's some characteristics in that in the black spanish that lend itself to that style 
So, so I think my impressions on that is that when you dry out the grapes, not only are you condensing the sugars, but you're also condensing the acid, um, which, which could be, you know, the acidity is already really high on this. And also drying the grapes out in our really humid uh, climate might yeah. be a real trick. I will say that the, 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 the category that I most look to with black Spanish that we didn't taste any is dry rosé. Because the acidity is so high, I, I see a, a, a number of producers making uh, dry style, and they don't even have to, uh, they can just press the grapes right away, and since the red flesh, you have a pink-colored wine uh, right out, and you don't have to have any maceration or any skin contact whatsoever, and, and the, the high acidity makes a lovely, refreshing rosé. Um, Daniel, so, so um, moving on, we started to get into wines, port styles and sweeter styles. Um, does that naturally suit the um, the grape variety? And then I'll open it up to the panel too, because is that a, a grape? Is that a style that can have mass consumer appeal in Texas? Personally, I really like the the, the Messina Hof port style and the Messina Hof tawny style. I thought they were really great examples of port wines. Right. The bigger issues is how do you sell a port? Right. Um, and really, the 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 retail market is very difficult and really it's a restaurant play and then at the same time the bottles are large format or 750 which is not you can't drink the whole bottle right right so it it becomes a difficult category but it's great for tasting room it's great for paired dinners it's great for things where you can serve a sample here a sample there a glass and Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that, that leaving some of that sweetness behind to balance out that acidity and, yeah. and maybe tame the wild flavors, too. W w Oscar, what do you think? Do you think that ports are only a tasting room thing? I mean, you work in a tasting room as well as a restaurant in town here in Austin. What do you think? Is it the sweet style going to work? I think it works really nicely for restaurant and tasting room because in the tasting room, you have the advantage of educating the process and possibly do a pairing. Whereas the restaurant can, can do a lot of pairing exercises to open up. And because these wines see a lot of process, I think people can identify more to that style as opposed to having a still table wine made with black Spanish that is completely different from vinifera uh, wines. And I think that is what in consumers' minds may be a little tricky or off-putting that it's, they're getting something they don't recognize immediately. Yeah. What do, in, in a few few more minutes, uh, what do you think um, from our tasting here? Does, is, is black Spanish going to have a future here? Or, or is it going to kind of be just niche and, uh, you know, really specific situations? I'd like to see black Spanish uh, made by different producers and see how that makes the difference too. Um, but generally, I want to say yes, because natural wine is in fashion right now and it's popular and people like it. Yeah. This definitely... The so, in the, so in your restaurant, uh, you're seeing that folks are not, not, um, they're not needing that standard international flavor. They're looking for these kind of wild flavors, and then how you pair them with food. It's a combination of yeah. both. We get a lot of tours, but there's a uh, few people who come and looking for new wines and different wines that they never had before. Somalia is always curious for things that don't taste like, uh, you know, kibari chardonnay right, right. and <laughs> things like that. So, but with food, this wine is uh, relatively hard to pair, I think, because it gets a lot of attention. But it's possible. Yeah. So something it will go with barbecued items with Ooh. really rich barbecue impact on it. 
I think that will be really good. I think that's a way to mitigate the high acidity and just those bring that intensity flavors. to the same level. I so. love it. Black Spanish and barbecue tasting. Okay, yes. where are we going after this, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, what do you think? But final thoughts on Black Spanish? I think there is a future because consumers are becoming more and more adventurous and looking for a new, unique experience. And Black Spanish certainly does provide a unique experience. So I think it certainly has a place. Cool, cool. You nailed it with rosé, by the way. Yeah, I mean, have you been seeing the, the rosés come out? I've just had two, and, and they are, they still have the, the foxy, gamey quality, and I think that can be mitigated in the vineyard in terms of your management. Yeah. But the natural acidity is really special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wonderful. We didn't get a chance to say, do, in, in one minute we have uh, left to go over Norton. So um, what was, Daniel, I mean, there's not much Norton here, but you had one. Tell us that producer. Uh, and Yeah, so Enoch Stomp, the same producer where the Blanc de Bois came from in the 2015 William Chris. Uh, and then there's also a really prominent producer in Texas, Sandstone Cellars. Uh, in dripping, uh, not dripping, Spicewood. Stonehouse. Stonehouse, sorry. Stonehouse, um, making really great Norton that is a state Norton. It's a, it's a grape that has history for the U.S. I mean, in the 18th century, going into the early 19th century, that was the grape that was winning awards in French right, yeah. and European contests. So uh, it, has, it has history in the U.S. And so, and really, it's, it's a true American varietal, and that is very compelling. Right. And I think that this Enoch Stump was, was a wonderful example. Again, you know, kind of wild flavors, right? What do you guys think? That's yep. my favorite out of reds. <laughs> that was your favorite red? Yes. Okay, this cool. Cherry, plum, cranberry, fruit notes, and um, this really nice vanilla integrated with the fruit. And I think this wine will appeal to Cabernet drinkers who are looking for different wines. Yeah, yeah, big, big flavors. Yes. In, in 15 seconds, guys. <laughs> for me, it was reminiscent of uh, Symphondel with jammy, licorice, Tootsie Roll qualities. Um, so, pretty intense. Flavors. It did have this orange hue to it, so it kind of like Tempranillo. I think it does uh, show some savory notes too. It's like a wild version of Tempranillo. Yeah, yeah. And that was non-vintage. We don't really know what what year. We will was. never know because we got to run and we got to make room. <laughs> we got to make room for Tracy Schultz here in Remix. So thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshep. It's another bottle down. We're here with the Texas Wine Journal, TexasWineJournal.org. I want to thank you all: Daniel Collada, Oscar Montesiga, Julia Dixon, and Jesse Brantley. Uh, good luck with the holidays that are coming up, and uh, we'll see you soon. Everybody have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you.